I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles. The Old Testament book, 2 Chronicles, chapter 7, will begin at verse 14. So that's 2 Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14, where God says, If my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own. Through the name of Jesus the Christ, amen. These are interesting days. I guess every generation has said these are interesting days, but it just seems like it is a trying time in our world. It's a trying time clearly in our country right now with the events of the last week and with the inauguration that's coming up and so much going on in our, our country and even in our churches. It just seems that even as we talk about denominational issues, it's such a, a divided time, a painful time in many ways. There's a sense of brokenness. There's a sense of division. There's even a sense of shaming where we tend to point at others and try to place others down. It's an interesting, painful time. Makes me wonder about that short verse of the Bible, Jesus wept. So how do we make this turn and how do we call upon our God? It seems that our world today, our country today, our churches today, we need God in our life and God's healing and grace in our lives today, maybe more than ever. Each week as we join together to worship, we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say the words, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Perhaps the challenge for us as the church today is to move from saying the Lord's Prayer to praying the Lord's Prayer. I think God wants to act. This scripture that we're reading today, it's one of those if-then passages of scripture. If this, then that. If the people who are called by my name, if we will do our part, then God is desiring to act and that will open the door for God to do some amazing things. In this scripture, Solomon has had the temple of God built. And it has been dedicated to God. And here in Jerusalem now you have the holy temple of God. And Solomon has prayed that God would come and fill the temple. And God has answered the prayers. And then God is talking to Solomon. It's important to hear this. God is speaking to Solomon. He's speaking to the king of Israel and said, If you find yourself in distress... If difficult times come, 
If times of brokenness, division, pain, suffering, if those things come, then here's what you do. So God says to Solomon, if my people who are called by my name, if my people, I love this scripture, it's one of my favorite passages, but I think sometimes it's misread because the scripture says, this is to my people, the people that are called by my name. It's easy sometimes for us in the church to look out at the world and go, if they would, if the world would, if the world would change, if they, this is not a if they scripture, this is a, an if we scripture. If we, the people of God, will turn to God, to acknowledge that we are the people of God. This message is for us. If the people that are called by my name, we're the ones who call ourselves the church. Christians, to be like Christ. If we then will humble ourselves. Now that's challenging. I think personally that a lot of the issues that are happening in our world today are issues that stem from our arrogance. As a matter of fact, Niebuhr has shared, as I've mentioned many times before, that the original sin is self-interest. I think that shows itself in so many ways in our lives and in who we are. It is the temptation, self-interest. And therefore, sometimes it, it expresses itself in our arrogance. There seems to be so much arrogance in our world today. We are all so confident that we are the ones who are right on most issues. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. I've often said that I believe God handles spiritual ignorance much more easily than God handles spiritual arrogance because ignorance simply means a lack of knowledge. Arrogance has to be humbled. And that's challenging because if we listen to the way we speak to each other, and it's whether it's in the church, whether it's in our country, whether it's in our world, no matter what the issue, oftentimes we seem to speak from our self-made pedestals of moral superiority. And God is saying, before you point and look and judge your neighbor, perhaps it's time for my people to humble themselves. We, we live in a world where my truth is the truth. My opinion is the fact. But we're called to humble ourselves before God and to humble ourselves before our neighbor. And I think the challenge is before we can influence the world around us, the question is, have we examined ourselves to see what part of the issues in our world today are with me. We're in a culture that says you either agree with me or you're dead to me. You either agree with me or you're canceled out. The ability to take a moment and, and look at ourselves and to be able to listen to one another at times. I was at a meeting a couple years ago of our annual conference and, and there was some uh, interesting issues, some passionate issues that were being discussed. And, and so suddenly there was this, this, this moment, this 
petition or this motion that was made going, we need to have listening sessions. We need to pause a little bit and listen to each other. And all in favor of setting up these listening times, you know, please say aye or raise your hand. And most everybody voted for it. Of course, who's going to go? I don't want to listen. But then right after that, another topic came up and a gentleman who was a lay person stood up to speak. It wasn't very eloquent in the way he spoke. And as he was speaking, a young pastor nearby was overheard speaking to those around them. Man, do I really have to sit here and listen to this? And I thought, we just voted a moment ago to listen to each other. Sometimes we don't really want to listen to each other. We want to be heard. The challenge is how do we humble ourselves and perhaps look in the mirror before we look out the window. To look in the mirror before we look out the window. So God says to Solomon, as he's built the temple, if the people who will worship here, the people who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. Prayer is conversation with God, which means we want to bring God into the conversation. We want to bring God into the discussion. I think prayer is absolutely vital, not just helpful, but vital. As a matter of fact, Jesus' prayer life was a vital part of, of his life. And you, you might remember that times when Jesus would be the busiest, when crowds would be pushing in upon him, Scripture says he would slip off to a deserted place to pray. Before he chose the disciples, slip off to a quiet place to pray. Before he went to the cross, knelt down before God and prayed. His prayer life was so important, as a matter of fact, that the disciples who would witness when Jesus prays, he is different. It changes his life. It changes his being. It changes who he is. He comes back strengthened and empowered. And, and so they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, then pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, the prayer that we pray together so often. Paul, when he was writing to Timothy, he says to him, and I'm reading from the message, which is a paraphrase. It's a rewording of the scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. The first thing that I want you to do is pray. The very first thing that I want you to do is pray. This is Paul writing to his apprentice, Timothy. Pray every way you know how for everyone you know. Pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well so that we can be quietly about our business of living simply in humble contemplation. Now, there's an interesting thing about that because during the time of Jesus, during the time of Paul, the Roman government had an empire where they had taken over so many countries, including occupying Israel. So when Paul says, I want you to pray for everybody in every way that you know how, and that includes those who are governing and ruling, think about that. It wasn't the beloved government of Israel or the beloved government of most of the nations. It was an occupier. And Paul says, 
whether it's, whether it's your ruler or not. Pray for those who are ruling. Now, the New Revised Standard Version puts it more familiarly this way. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, where we pray on behalf of someone, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and for all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. I mean, one of the things that Paul is trying to share, too, is the Roman emperors often considered themselves to be deities. They considered themselves to be God. Some even said, you'll refer to me as your Lord and God. Paul is saying, actually, we pray to the king of kings for the kings, the queens, the presidents, the premiers, the prime ministers, whatever the roles may be, but for those who are in leadership and for all people. Remember this statement by God to Solomon as the temple's been dedicated is, if my people, this is for the people of God. I wonder what would happen if we change our ratio of prayers and criticisms. It's a good question for me to sometimes ask in my own life is what is my ratio of prayers for someone versus criticisms for that someone? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That Hebrew concept is to worship. To seek the face of God is to worship God, to be in the presence of God. It reminds me where Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you. But the first thing we seek is to be in the presence of God, the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Proverbs 8, verse 17 said, I love those who love me, and those who seek diligently find me. We're called to seek the face of God. If my people who are called by my name will seek my face. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 11 is one of that, those beautiful scriptures. It lays out what's known as the hall of faith and goes through the various Old Testament characters and their amazing faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would approach Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. If my people will seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Now, again, this is that part of that verse that I wish was about, you know, those people out there. But remember, this was God talking to Solomon about those who call themselves the people of God. If the people of God will turn from their wicked ways. So again, before we can look at what we wish they would do, what we have to first examine is what are we called to do and who are we called to be and to turn from the wicked ways. That means to repent. It means to change. It's, it's so much deeper than simply saying, I'm sorry. Because words can be kind of shallow. Like when we say to our children, when a brother or sister does something to another one, and we go, tell your brother you're sorry. 
Okay, we can get them to say the words. The question is, did you mean it? And will you turn? Do you seek to be different? And what's interesting then is to turn from our wicked ways means that we first have to acknowledge our wicked ways. We have a lot of recovery programs in the life of our church where we help so many people that are struggling with many different things. I've often said that church itself is a recovery program. We're all in recovery from something. And so the first step of recovery, you're taught, is, is to name the problem, to admit that you have the problem. So to turn from our wicked ways means that we have to to pause, and I think that's why God said humbly, it's hard to take a deep look inside of us and go, what, what part of the world's brokenness do I own? What part of the world's brokenness do I own? What is in me that leads me to be a part of that? It's that's why we're called to humble ourselves, to pray, seek God's face, and to turn from our wicked ways. It's just so much easier for me to point to the wicked ways of someone else. I have a rock that I keep in my office. It used to sit on my desk. Now it's sitting on a bookshelf. It may be time to move it back to the desk, but it's always there. It's, it's a rock about this big, and it's there to remind me and anyone who's having conversation with me when, when we get tempted to throw stones to remember that scripture from John chapter 8 with the woman that was called in the act of adultery and people are standing there holding stones in your hand, their hands, I think tossing them up a little bit. They were just ready. Hey, Jesus, the law says that if somebody commits adultery, we can stone them to death. What do you think? Can we do it? Can we do it? Can we do it? And we're told that Jesus looks down and, and he begins to write things in the sand. There's a lot of speculation, wonder what he was writing. Some people think he was writing the Ten Commandments. I think that would make a good movie. That's not what I think it really was. I think what Jesus was writing, this is my personal opinion, is I think he would look around, see somebody, and write their sin down, their issue on the sand. And then I love the way that John tells it, that Jesus straightened up, which means he looked at them. And then Jesus says, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. You started hearing thump, thump, thump. Because the people realize there's not one of us who have the ability to pick up the stone because not one of us are without sin. So God said, if my people will do that, then here's what I'll do. I will hear. I will listen. I will hear the prayers that are offered. Now remember, temple's been dedicated. God's been brought to the temple. God is speaking to Solomon and going, I will hear when my people pray. When the people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn, good news, I will hear. 
I will hear them. Reminds me of Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, when God is calling Moses to lead the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. He says to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I've heard them. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. Here God says again to Solomon, if my people will humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear them. I will hear their prayers. And he said, I will forgive their sins. Now hear the good news. If we humble ourselves and examine and turn from our wickedness, God says to us, I will forgive you. I will forgive, that's us, the people of God. God is willing to forgive us for our parts in the brokenness, in the pain. And then God said, and I will heal their land. I think our land needs healing. Our world needs healing. Our churches need healing. Our people, we know there's, there are things deep inside of us and inside of our neighbors and all around us, we, we're struggling and we need God. And hear the good news. If then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves Pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I, I will hear them. I will forgive them and I will heal their land. One of my favorite songs is Let There Be Peace on Earth. It was actually written in 1955 by Jill Jackson Miller and her husband, Cy Miller. They were leading a retreat in California of young people. It was a diverse group of young people from various religious, socioeconomic backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds that were joined together. And, and they wrote this song to be part of the retreat. They were confident that we can experience peace on earth when we focus on God and we examine ourselves. So they said, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Let there be peace on earth, the peace that was meant to be with God, our creator, family, all are we. Let us walk with each other in perfect harmony. Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Will you pray with me? God, we pray for healing in our world, healing in our country, healing in our churches, and healing within our hearts. God, we pray as we have new leaders that have been elected and taking office, that there will be healing in the land, whatever it may be, the brokenness, the divisions. God, we just we pray, whether it's our person or not, we pray 
as you have called us to pray. For everyone that we know in every way that we know how, but especially for those who are in leadership so that we might live a life of peace. So God, we pray that you would help us to examine ourselves now, for we are your people. And God, we want to humble ourselves. Before we look out the window, God, help us to look in the mirror and humble ourselves, bow before you in prayer, seek your face in worship, and that we may turn from our brokenness. And God, we praise you that you have promised that you will hear our prayer. You will forgive and cleanse us and make us whole. And God, we give you thanks and pray that you will now heal our land, your land. In the name of Jesus the Christ, amen.